Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and Whatever it is. <laughs> Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another finger-breaking, skylight-smashing episode of Fanholes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek. Derek WC. I'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight, and I'm not alone tonight. I am joined by one of my fellow Fanholes. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike Batman. You're not so cool. You're not so cool, Batman. Yeah, so so we're gonna we're actually gonna be talking about some Batman comics tonight, and this is this is a massive podcasting event that we're participating in. We're participating in this month's JL May, and the the theme of this month's JL May is countdown to infinite crisis so it's not actually infinite crisis itself but the actual countdown to infinite crisis there was a a one shot and it spun out into four different mini series and this is being spearheaded by michael bailey over at the fortress of bailey tude and it all comes back to superman podcasts and i guess you know, he, he kind of told us, you know, that he thought it would be fun to sort of look back, have a little celebration and maybe critically analyze, you know, kind of like the, the months leading up to Identity Crisis. Because, you know, for him, he was saying it was the last time that for him, it felt like the DC universe was like a fun place to be. It's it's funny because I, I get that. But I also kind of don't get it at the same time. So it's funny. Like, like for me, I get it because, well, it's funny because I get it because I was buying all those miniseries at the time. So I understand, like, the zeitgeist of it all where it was like you didn't feel like you were reading a single title. Like, you felt like you were reading the DC universe. Like, you were, you know, because I, I, you know, I was probably in like my mid twenties and I had disposable income and I could buy all those mini series. And it was like, I went into the comic shop on every Wednesday and would just buy all that stuff. Cause you were like super excited, you know, leading up to like a second crisis. So you were like buying, like, you know, for me, I was buying like all these things that came out, you know, the tie-ins and the mini series and all that stuff. So I get that. But then I guess to me, it's funny because I think certain people's, cutoff points or breakoff points like you know i think maybe for him you know to him things got really ugly after infinite crisis and and he feels like that's the last time he felt like the dc universe was dc comics to him you know and and i suppose you could you know you could 
bullet point or, or, you know, point fingers at things like, you know, the new 52 or, you know, whatever it is you want to sort of say is, you know, this, this, you know, changed how I view DC comics. And, and to some people it might be way earlier than, than infinite crisis. But I I think for me, it's interesting because I I think I enjoyed infinite crisis. I enjoyed a lot of the mini series that led up to like the countdown to infinite crisis. But I, I think it's interesting that identity crisis, which I don't really like, took place before that and and leading up to infinite crisis like i think and and this will be briefly mentioned in in some of these synopses and everything cuz we're we're talking about batman comics tonight but i i think one of the major Batman events that I absolutely can't stand that I, I feel like is infamous, right. Is war games. And like, I'm like, that wasn't a f- quote unquote fun DC crossover. Right. That's, so like, that's the one where Stephanie Brown died, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so it's like, it's like there, there, there's, there's certain things that are like super fun, like, like, you know, Adam strange planet heist, but then there's other things where you look at it and go, Oh, I didn't like, you know, I, you know, I'm like firestorm dies in identity crisis. Like all these people die. Like, it's not, it's not very fun. Right. Like it, Stephanie Brown dying is not fun to me. That's ugly. Right. So it, it depends on like what you were reading and, and what you decide to sort of, have the fond, you know, it's like, it's like the things you cherish and have the fond memories of, you might bring that up to the forefront. And I don't even know that necessarily, you know, Villains United is, is a, a fun and or non ugly event, but I like it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I don't know that the comics we're going to talk about tonight are not ugly, but I like them. I enjoy them. So, so I guess it depends on, you know, it's, it's kind of subjective, you know, and everything, but, but I think this is intended, JLMA is intended to be, you know, a celebration of the various crossovers, tie-ins, events, and everything. And the way it applies to the Batman comics we're talking tonight is we were kind of given carte blanche, like we could discuss whatever we wanted, but also with the notion that we were going to specifically address the Villains United tie-in, which was Batman Gotham Knights issue 66. So what we're going to do tonight, and one of the stories that I wanted to discuss, because I, I, I've kind of been a big fan of the Gotham Knights comic book for a long time, and I wanted to discuss what is basically covered in the trade paperback Hush Returns. That's kind of what they label it. And that's Batman Gotham Knights 50 to 55. And it also, ironically enough, adds on issue 66, the the Villains United tie-in. So if you've read that trade, you're all good with what we're about to discuss. I may go into some more details because I, I've been reading Gotham Knights. You know, I read it in real time as it was coming out. But the game plan here is to go ahead in the first half of the show. We're going to be talking about the, the first arc, the Gotham Knights 50 to 55. And then in the back half of the show, we'll be talking about the Villains United tie-in, which is Gotham Knights issue 66. So just to get started... Batman Gotham Knights, of course, it was published by DC Comics. The cover dates of this this story arc, because this is when things were starting to get written for the trade. I think this is this is the 
the peak of that era, you know, the the way everybody just started, you know, writing arcs for the trade and not writing, you know, sort of single issues, right? So, and this, I think, applies to, to this storyline as well. The, the cover date was April 2004 to August 2004. The actual on-sale dates, thanks to Mike's Amazing World, February 18th, 2004 to June 16th, 2004. The cover price wildly fluctuates throughout these six issues. It's $2.75. Holy crap. And then it goes up to $2.95 in between that time. And one of these, I think, is a double-sized issue, and that is $3.75. So lots of wildly fluctuating, outrageous price tags on all these, and I was buying it all. The, $3 the... for a comic? Are you insane? Yeah, I know, I know. Are you crazy? What's going on? The story title of, of these six comics is titled Pushback. And the editor was Matt Idelson. The covers were by Lee Bermejo. It was written by A.J. Lieberman. The penciler was Alejandro Nuevo. The inker was Francis Portella. The letterer was Clem Robbins. The colorist was Noel C. Giddings and Eric Hector and Brad Anderson. So the colorist changes up on the various issues. And as previously mentioned, all these issues we're going to discuss can be found in the Batman Hush Returns trade paperback that was released in 2006. And I am going to give a, a synopsis of the initial arc pushback, and then me and Mike are going to discuss. Beaten to near death and thrown through the skylight of the Gotham City Museum of Modern Art, the Riddler lies in a tablecloth and broken glass from the window, indistinguishable from the broken crystal dinnerware around him. A week earlier, a man in the bayou chopping down tree logs crafts the perfect plan to kill Bruce Wayne. Elsewhere, Oracle tries to play matchmaker with Bruce Wayne over the comlinks when Wayne believes he spotted Vesper Fairchild at a Gotham City club. He follows the woman who gets in the passenger seat of a sports car as Batman. The Dark Knight detective saves the woman from getting run over by a truck when the driver throws her out into the street. When Batman is close enough, he can see the woman is, in fact, not Vesper Fairchild. When Batman departs, the woman gets on her cell phone to demand her money for doing what she was told to do. The next day, at Blackgate Penitentiary, Edward Nigma is basking in the glory for his role as the mastermind behind the events of Batman Hush. Back in the bayou, some local hunters stumble upon the shadowy man's plans to make Gotham City pay. The man shoots two of the hunters dead and snaps the neck of the final hunter. Two days later, someone plants a bomb in the pediatric ward of a Gotham City hospital. Meanwhile, Nigma gets a visit from a random stranger who was paid to threaten him using riddles. Later, a prison bus is spray-painted with the message, You have two days to live, the letter U and the number two. Nigma slips a prison guard five grand to get word out to the Joker. In the lair of the Joker, he reviews old photo albums of his pregnant wife from the killing joke, Jeannie. He is interrupted by one of his men who tells him the prison guard is here to deliver a message. When the Joker reads the message, he tells the men to pay the man. Nigma wants the Joker to arrange transferring him out of Blackgate Penitentiary. Back in the bayou, we see the cabin the shadowy man has been staying in has been set ablaze. He thinks to himself, It's been said you can never go back. That you can't change the things that have already happened. Well, I'm here to tell you, 
that's just not true. The Joker blackmails Blackgate's warden to have Nigma transferred immediately. Bruce discusses the evening's events from three days ago with Tim Drake. Batman suspects the entire thing was staged. The shadowy figure from the bayou is now in the Gotham City sewer system and countermands the jam Oracle had placed on the streetlights. While Batman and Oracle track the Riddler's transfer to the slab, a missile strikes the police caravan. Batman asks Oracle for satellite tracking, but her quote-unquote Big Bird satellite is jammed. Oracle quickly hacks a Luther Corps satellite coming overhead as a workaround. The shadowy figure runs out of view and contacts the Gotham City Hospital, where the bomb was planted from the previous issue. As Batman moves wreckage from the prison van's rear doors, Oracle advises that there is a bomb at the hospital. He opens the rear doors and asks Nigma who is doing this. Nigma fearfully replies he doesn't know. Batman tells the Gotham PD to get Nigma back to prison and rides off on his bat cycle to the hospital. Another bomb that was secretly planted on an ambulance goes off instead, forcing Nigma to flee the scene and head for the rooftops. Nigma finds his Riddler costume, which he thinks was left there for him by the Joker, and puts it on. When the shadowy figure appears behind him and tells Riddler, I told you, three days, the Riddler flees yet again. When a beat cop also arrives on the rooftop and pulls his sidearm on the shadowy figure, the man takes the sidearm from him and punches him in the face. He then executes the cop with his own sidearm. As Riddler whispers to himself that the Joker will protect him, the shadowy figure punches him to the ground, asking him the location of the Lazarus Pit. When the Riddler claims not to know, he puts his face up against the venting fan, pops his right arm out of its socket, and breaks his pinky finger. When a shocked Riddler finally recognizes his assailant, he states he thought the man was dead. The man continues, breaking his ring finger and middle finger. Meanwhile, Batman gets briefed on the bomb type at the hospital before going in to disarm it. We cut back to see several teeth and the blood of the Riddler on the rooftop. As the Riddler crawls away, the man tells him to jump or he'll continue breaking his fingers. We then get an instant replay of the Riddler smashing through the skylight. The shadowy figure also leaps down into the light. Hush has returned. He grabs the Riddler by the hair and drags him into the next room to begin his revenge. Hush drags a bloody and beaten Riddler to the front of the Gotham City Museum of Modern Art. The Joker then appears with an army of mimes and demands Hush turn the Riddler over to him. When Hush says he'll only turn over the Riddler after he's through with him, the Joker orders his mime commandos to kill Hush, slowly. Hush puts up a good fight but is overwhelmed by sheer numbers. The Joker has his man Ken kick Hush in the chest, takes the Riddler, and tells Hush Gotham is his city as they drive away. Batman reviews Oracle's satellite footage over and over, even though he could tell from his very first viewing that it's his old friend Tommy Elliot, also known as Hush, back from the dead. Oracle then confirms this by reporting 911 calls indicating Hush has been seen at the Gotham City Museum of Modern Art. Batman arrives, but finds only spilt blood, while Hush lurks nearby in the shadows. 
Heroes. Batman and Robin dig up the grave of Tommy Elliot, but only find a newspaper in the coffin, the defining reason why Hush got his toe stubbed by Bruce Wayne. Dr. Thomas Wayne saved the life of Elliot's mother, whom he wanted dead so as to inherit the family fortune. Meanwhile, at the Joker's lair, he confers with Oswald Cobblepot the Penguin on recent events. The Penguin thinks the Joker should have either killed Hush or made peace with him. The Joker rages that Hush is a flash in the pan, and only he can defeat Batman and bring the city to its knees. The Riddler provides the Joker with the name he's been searching for, Oliver Hammett, the name of the man who killed his wife. Batman and Oracle analyze the bloody teeth found at the scene and confirm they belong to the Riddler. They share the intel with Detective Renee Montoya and Crispus Allen. Later, right after Robin, Hush propositions the best armored costume maker in Gotham City, the Tailor. The Tailor turns Hush onto the idea of taking on a partner, someone who took on the entire Justice League of America, Prometheus. Prometheus is in a huge shootout with the Star City PD. Green Arrow arrives on the scene and starts shooting up Prometheus with arrows. Hush shows up and takes a cop hostage so he and Prometheus can escape. Hush throws the cop off the roof as the two flee. As Batman enters Star City in the Batwing, Hush patches up Prometheus at the Safari Motel. Hush is, after all, a doctor. Green Arrow yells at Batman for not warning him sooner about the dead cop. Batman didn't know Hush would come to Star City, but that's not good enough for Ollie, and they exchange blows. Hush saves Prometheus's life, and Batman and Oliver quote-unquote kiss and make up before Ollie goes to talk to the family of the dead police officer. Green Arrow and the Star City PD track down Hush and Prometheus's last known location, the Safari Motel. One of Green Arrow's arrows with an exploding tip blows open the door. Arrow radios Batman back in Gotham City that Prometheus got hit badly, but Hush was able to save him. It starts raining in Gotham City, and when Robin checks up on Batman, he's surprised to find him scared that Hush has returned. In his own way, Tim tells Bruce he's got his back. Elsewhere, the Riddler confirms to the Joker and Penguin that he witnessed a dirty Gotham City cop named Oliver Hammett kill the Joker's wife, Jeannie, and made it look like an accident. Their apartment burned, and Nigma just happened to be pulling a Jimmy Stewart in rear window and saw the entire thing go down. He later attended Jeannie's funeral that was listed in the newspaper and realized whose wife it was when he saw the Joker in attendance. The Joker tells Penguin and the Riddler he's going to find Hammett and kill him. Batman dreams of chasing Hush on the rooftops of Gotham City. Bruce wakes from this nightmare right before he falls to his death as a smiling Hush cuts his bat line. As the Joker and his men escort the Riddler to an isolated spot for safekeeping, which is heavily implied to be the carnival fair from The Killing Joke, Prometheus and Hush stand in the way of their caravan. Prometheus shoots up the first car, stopping the caravan. Hush orders Prometheus to kill all the Joker's men. Oracle sees the shootout on her monitors and contacts Batman. The Joker is left surrounded by dead bodies, and Hush gets payback by punching him to the wet ground and kicking him in the face. Hush demands to know where Riddler is, and when he won't tell him, Hush tells Prometheus to shoot him. The Joker manages to duck down a manhole when Prometheus opens fire. By this point, Batman has appeared on the scene and futilely tries to talk Hush down. 
Prometheus opens fire on Batman, and the two escape as Batman dodges the cover fire. The Joker continues to tread through sewer water as the Riddler seeks asylum with Poison Ivy. The Joker makes his way back to the carnival fair from the killing joke, discarding his clothes along the way. The freaks from the carnival fair welcome the Joker back home. The end for now. And that is probably not the short, but hopefully it's pretty sweet synopsis of Gotham Knights issue 50 to 55 titled Pushback. So I guess I'm going to open it up to you for a second, Mike. Like, have you read this before I asked you to read it? Uh, No. Okay. Okay. And I guess as somebody who, you know, you're, you're a fan of Batman, like you like reading Batman stuff. Like to me, I, I feel like this, especially AJ Lieberman's writing on Batman Gotham Knights, like I enjoy it, but I, I think I felt like at the time I was reading this, I would always go to like wizard world boards or whatever, whatever kind of fan reception I was getting, whether it was going to the comic store or whatever, it seemed like a lot of people like, I don't know, this this entire story just seemed to rub people the wrong way. And maybe it rubbed me the right way because I don't like Hush. You know, I don't like Loeb and Jim Lee's Hush. So to me, like, this was a big, you know, you know, thumbing their nose up to me. I took it that way at, at certain aspects of Hush. And so I enjoyed it. But I guess as somebody who's read this for the first time, and is is coming to it kind of fresh, but is a fan of Batman. Like, do you like this? Do you not like this? Like, what's what what's your kind of gut reaction to this storyline? Honestly, um, I don't know that I liked it. Like, like there there were parts of it I did like. Like, I liked Batman's characterization in it. Like, and like you said, this was this was leading up to like uh, Infinite Crisis, right? So yeah, you know, Batman was kind of, and you know, everyone knows that like you know, War Games is you know where you know Bat Dickery kind of uh, isn't isn't that where Bat Dickery kind of went on overload? Like, was, well, was that he... and and if you if you're talking about Infinite Crisis, I mean, he he built all the Omax. He he was yeah. paranoid about the Justice League. Like that that was the aspect of the Trinity. Wasn't the, that sort wasn't of... the whole reason? And he hired Stephanie Brown to like get like motivate Tim basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like I, I knew he was supposed to be like a total douchebag and and like what, what I had always believed was in this period, he was kind of a total douchebag. But like I, I, in this actual arc, like I, I, I didn't I didn't see much of that. Like I thought he was like I liked the fact that he was like afraid of Hush, like in like I don't know, like he had, it wasn't what I was expecting from Batman. Like he had a like sort of sense of vulnerability to him that like, you know, you don't usually see. So I kind of liked that. But however, um, I I don't care for Hush either. I mean, like I, I'll admit it. I bought like, you know, the Jim Lee, the, this is like Hush's second appearance, right? Like yeah. storyline wise. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So like I, I read Hush when it came out, like I was buying it. Like it, it was like huge, like, you know, it, it like, even though I was only buying like Marvel things, like everyone was like, you know, oh, Jim Lee's coming back to draw a Batman storyline. Like, you got to buy this. Like, yeah, yeah. So like I, I was buying like the, the original Hush storyline and probably back then I thought it was OK, but revisiting it like I think it's kind of I don't think it's OK anymore. Like, I don't think it's aged very well. It probably wasn't like that great to begin with. But, you know, uh, Jim Lee's art kind of blinded me to that. I don't know, like Hush. 
he falls into that category of like early aughts villains that are like the best ever. Like, I guess like, like <laughs> yes. he kind of yeah, falls yeah, into yeah, that. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff worked on me when I was a kid where like, you know, when you see Venom or Doomsday and you're like, yeah, he's like the best villain ever. And then yeah. when they pull it like the second time, when you see Carnage, you're like, well, yeah, he's, I guess better. But then by like the early aughts, like I was like savvy to it by that point. So I, I can't like, even remember anymore. What was that? What was that douchebag's name from Paul Jenkins' run on Spider Man? Oh, Fusion. Fusion. Yes. Yeah, like, like, like so, so. So you you think yeah. of, you think of all these guys as Morlin, like Fusion. Fusion yeah. yeah. Like all like Gorgon, like that, and Wolverine, like all I these mean, like super unbeatable, invincible like villains who like I, you know. I agree. Like, 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 I mean, I'll, I'll explain why I like this story, but, but, but as far as your assessment of, you know, early aughts villains and, and hush falling into that category, I I'm completely in agreement with you. Yeah. Like, and like, you know, hush, like I, I he's, he's like the bestest ever in this like storyline. Like he kind of falls into that category where, you know, he's got, you know, established Batman villains, like pissing their pants, like because of him, like, I mean, he beats the Joker, like, I mean, and, and I mean, there's, there's parts of it like that, like makes sense to me, but then there's parts of it where, you know, I was kind of like, okay, like enough, like I get it. Like he's, he's badass, like whatever, like, and it, I don't know, like the hush, like obviously, like he he had a shitty origin. Like, I mean, yeah, Jeff, Jeff, like we've discussed this before. Like, it's a terrible mystery. Jeff Loeb is the only mystery Jeff Loeb can write is a shitty mystery where it's like, you know, he what, what do we always say? He lies to you instead of misdirects yeah. you. Like, yeah, yeah. There's no there's no red herring. It's just a flat out lie. Yeah. Mr. I mean, it's like it's Tommy Elliott. Like he's the like the main suspect for Hush. Oh, we killed him. So it can't be him. But then, you know, it's like later it's like, no, it was Clayface. Like we fooled you. And I was like, yeah, but you never you never introduced Clayface. So how would yeah, we you, possibly yeah, know that? Yeah, you never you never set any of that up. I mean, that that's kind of why I was like being a smart ass when when I, I in the synopsis, I said that that his toe was still stubbed over the fact that Thomas Wayne saved his mom's life, you know, like, because, because, yeah. again, it, it's quite a stupid motivation. I guess maybe I'll use this as an opportunity to address some of the things you said and, and explain maybe why I like this story. So you, you talked about how how Hush beats the Joker in this, but he has an arc, at least like when he first shows up. Hit the mimes kick the shit out of him and the Joker tells him to fuck off, you know, basically. And like part of that, like I love because it, it, it's like seeing, you know, Doc Ock, you know, own fusion. It's like seeing, you know, to me, it's like it's 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 something that drives me nuts. It's like Doomsday beating Darkseid like is it makes me angry. But if you had if you had another arc where Doomsday made a big comeback and then Darkseid like smacked him around a little bit at first, like and and beat him, like or or maybe Darkseid's parademons just gang up on Doomsday and fart all over him, and Darkseid's just like sitting there with his <laughs> hands behind his back, like chuckling or something, or sipping a cappuccino while while Doomsday gets his ass kicked by like monster parademons that have I don't know the Doomsday virus strand or something to make fanboys happy or whatever. But you anyway, defeat my Omega farts. Right, right. Like wh wh whatever, whatever the deal is. Right, like like 
even if Doomsday eventually has a round two and beats Darkseid after that, like just like this is this is what happens with the Joker. Like Hush comes into town, asks where the Riddler is, is being badass, and then the Joker whoops his ass, and then Hush has to go get his boy Prometheus, come back, and then he beats up the Joker. And then there's another rematch way, way later in the series at the very end of Gotham Knights, 73 to 74, where they, they can't really decide who wins. You know, it's just kind of like one of these things where they, they have a big giant showdown and, you know, it's kind of a mysterious thing. But, you know, basically Joker survives and and Hush later shows up in the, the Paul Dini detective comics run or whatever. So there's that. But I, I just I guess one, I, I was always enamored with the fact that Hush like throws Riddler through a skylight. Like I, I take that just like, just like Joker beating up Hush. I take that as meta commentary on Loeb and Lee's Hush period. And I don't know that that's intentional or anything. It probably isn't, but that's how I interpret it. And because of that, I love it because it's like for all the frustrations I have of reading a quote unquote mystery where you're not given red herrings. You're just flat out lied to. I, I I feel like I took some kind of weird schadenfreude in seeing the Riddler's fingers broken because to me it's like you're doing that in a fictional arena to Jeff Loeb for having Mr. You know directed <laughs> you. Where I'm like to me it's like a big thumb in the nose to Hush. It's like a big fuck you. Where it's like and what you thought you were so clever like Riddler. You thought you were so clever with your phony ass not real mystery lobe well you weren't i'm gonna break your fingers and throw you through the fucking skylight and you're gonna look like a fucking idiot and like i, I don't know why but like that that to me that like that's why i put gotham knights 51 as like my favorite single issue for 2004 because uh, it just that uh, i i can't uh, explain other than th this had a meta impact on me in regards to to things that you know like the original hush that i had an adverse reaction to so this was like this weird twisted apology for that story i guess can, can i ask you like you were reading this when it was coming out right yes yes did was that a mystery like for the first couple issues did you not know who the guy like at the, in the bayou was like did you guess it was hush did you know like hush was coming back or um until I like that big think, you know reveal at the end of the second issue i think it is i think i didn't quite i don't i'm trying to remember if it was like spoiled in previews or something i don't i i think by 51 we knew because it it's revealed in the story but i'm trying to remember if if that was spoiled in because it wasn't it was never titled hush returns like to me I was reading Gotham Knights way before this because I and again, people have different opinions on it. But I, I guess I would just paint this or frame this as, you know, you know how we feel about Peter David's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, like all these other books that were Spider-Man books at the time didn't really feel like Spider-Man. But that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that was written probably like right around this time frame was like, you're like, dude, I'll pick this up. Like Peter David knows how to write Spider-Man yeah. and he's doing all these cool little retcons and trying to make the continuity make sense. And you felt like you were reading Spider-Man. Like the one thing I was happy to hear you say, even if you don't like this, this story was that you thought 
Batman was characterized as someone who was vulnerable and and someone who you actually probably liked, right? And 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 I guess that's always been my attraction to this entire series, no matter who it's been written by, because I feel like to to me, like in the context of when this was coming out, you had the 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 Lee and Low Batman, which I didn't like. Following that, you had Azarello writing Batman, which I didn't like. After that, you had Judd Winnick writing Batman, which I really didn't like. So it's like you, you had this <laughs> string of writers where I, I didn't like any of it. It didn't seem like Batman to me. I didn't like it. And on top of that, leading up to Infinite Crisis, like you're saying, war games, the OMAC, you know, incident, like all that kind of stuff, right? You you had all these things where they were pushing the bat dickishness to you know the, the the bat dick dial was being turned up to eleven right because because it had to it had to get there for the the breakup of the trinity in infinite crisis and so this to me you know was like something that was more of a I don't know if you'd call it a throwback but at least even in the era where people are writing for the trades I mean I I would read Gotham Knights because they had cool story arcs with King Snake and Bane and, you know, like I enjoyed reading those. And, and there was an aspect of, it, it, for me, this this arc almost made me feel like I felt when I would read those Roger Stern Hobgoblin issues and there was kind of a mystery to it. You know, like you were like, who is the Hobgoblin? And it wasn't like the Hobgoblin had to show up every single issue. It's like he kind of poked his head in for a few issues and then he was gone for a little while and Spider-Man went off and did some other shit and then he came back for a couple issues and then he was in Peter Parker and then he came back to Amazing and all that kind of stuff and and you were kind of constantly like who is the Hobgoblin like I want to find this out and it's this kind of burning long running mystery and everything and and with this it's like yes the mystery for Loeb him being Tommy Elliot like that's all you know there's no mystery there, right? Even when there was supposedly a mystery in Hush, there was no mystery, right? But with this, I think, to me, there were certain things where I wasn't probably 100% sure who that was in the bayou at first. And then when he showed up, it was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And as this continues, and, and we'll get into this when we when we talk about the next chapter, there are other long-running aspects where they throw in more monkey wrenches and more mysterious things that happen and and it just that that's what that made me feel like was that i was reading some kind of you know roger stern hobgoblin saga thing and and i have to admit as much as i dislike hush and as much as i agree with with your assessment of those early aughts villains that they were the best ever and you're not basically i i think to summarize what you're saying is these villains were all hype no substance and and while i agree with that assessment I think at least this arc gave Hush a little more substance to go along with the hype machine. And that's why I appreciate this arc. It's like I loved him throwing Riddler through the sky roof. I liked him getting his ass kicked because it showed he wasn't the bestest. Like I liked when the mimes beat the crap out of him and he was forced to go get help. Because to me, then he has a round two moment. And when he's finally beating up the Joker, I'm like, okay, dude, you earned that. Like, like you, you got your ass kicked by Dr. Octopus with adamantium arms, Hulk, and then you came back in round two 
and beat up Dr. Octopus like that to me, like, that's fine. Like, I don't I'm not like Peter David. I'm not going to hold it against you that you made the Hulk lose to Dr. Octopus forever and ever and ever. Right. Like to me, it's like somebody loses and then they have a round two and then they win. Like, that's fine with me. And and that's kind of what what I saw in this as far as, you know, the. I don't know. That's just kind of how I took it. I'm glad. Well, yeah, I, I see your reasoning, and I'm glad. I'm glad you explained it that way because I, I, I see. I see what where you see the appeal too. I, I think it's just hard for me to like like Hush in general. Like, I mean, aside from a cool visual, like I've never like seen a whole lot to him like as a character. Like, I mean, all his. I feel like all his gimmicks are like stolen, like from other villains, like. You know, he's Bruce Wayne's like old friend from way back when. And like, you know, you kind of already have that with like Two-Face or yeah, like Harvey yeah. Dent. Yeah. And like even even, you know, the the bandage visual, like it seems like they swipe that from like Dark Knight Returns or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. then, yeah. And just I don't know, like the he's like an evil doctor or whatever. And like, you know, I, I think that the like, archetype has been in Batman a number of times, too. So I, I, I don't know, like they're they're. There are very few villains from that period, maybe the entire like 2000 to 2010 that I like I accepted, I guess, like from like if you you put a lineup of like the characters villains like and you added some of those like characters in there, like I'd be like, you know, if you showed a bunch of Spider-Man villains and like Moreland was in there, I'd be like, oh, Moreland doesn't really belong there, like or whatever. But I will say, like, if if you did that with Batman, like, I think maybe a little more than Moreland, like I'd, I'd see Hush and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, Hush is like, you know, I, I guess he deserves to be there. But I, like, I think I think maybe to to either agree with you or or I'd like I guess I'm glad you're here because I, I I didn't know how you were going to react to this, but I'm kind of glad you're you're not like totally into this story because I feel like the the majority of reactions that I saw online and in stores and everything were that people did not like this, you know, so it's like to me, it's it's good to have that perspective because I, I didn't want to be just the the guy gushing about it, especially when I think this is probably somewhat divisive among fans like i i don't think it's all batman fans uh, <laughs> favorite story or anything and th the other thing i'll give you is this is the like this aj lieberman this gotham knights this is the only time i've liked hush like even when paul dini did hush like i was like eh, i don't i don't care about this and and like you're saying i felt the same way that you did with in regards to to Loeb and lee when they they did hush you know so so i i think this is just kind of uh th this is an exception to the rule for me and and because of that like may maybe that's why i hold it in high regard cuz it's like you know i i think my default kind of like you and maybe even going further back, like you talk about early aughts villains. I mean, I think sometimes I might, you know, again, you know, you talked about carnage or doomsday or whoever, right? Like, like, you know, Graven is a good example, like villains from the nineties that you just like, who is this guy? Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I, 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 I you, you don't have any credit with me, you know, like, well, there's always like, you know, there's a time period or there's always like a moment where you realize you've accepted a character and like, I, I don't know if I've ever hit that moment with Hush. Like, like, for example, like going back to Spider-Man, it's like there was like an issue of uh, Fraction 
Legends Hawkeye, where it showed like all the crime bosses of New York, and it was like Kingpin, Hammerhead, like uh, Silvermane, and then Mr. Negative was oh, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, Mr. Negative <laughs> belongs there. And then I did like a double take because I was like, oh man, Mr. Negative has only been around for like four years. When did I accept him? Like, you know, basically, like, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, Mr. Negative is a good villain. Like, I, I, he deserves to be there. But like, hush, like, like I said, I think. There's that scene in, I think it's Scott Snyder's very first arc where Batman's taking on like all the villains in Arkham or whatever. And I think like Hush is in that group of villains and you can tell because he's got like his bandages on or whatever because, you know, they 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 like all super villain prisons. They let you wear your mask or your like costume or whatever. But um, like I, and I was just kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like Hush just being there like with the rest of them. Like, I, I don't know. It just seemed like out of place to me. But like, I don't know. I guess it depends on like the villain and how they're written, and how they're presented to me. But like, I, I don't know. But I, I've got a similar question to Prometheus. Is he late 90s or early aughts, too? He is late 90s. Oh. I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure he is because that JLA series was definitely when I was yeah, in, like he was in, more in college. Son, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, it he, may it he, may. It may have been like I mean he 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 had arcs like this where he was in the two thousands but he kind of like he started out in the nineties he has the trappings of those villains where they're you know the the best ever like kind of oh yeah yeah they, they they were well here here's something that's interesting so that I wanted to get into so so do do you know the story behind this like like well, another reason why oh, uh, let me can fans, I can I guess before yeah 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 you, yeah. Like, wasn't this retcon that this wasn't Prometheus? Like, well, well, there's that. But do you know who it was originally supposed to be? No. Okay. So, so we'll, we'll go into the. You're you're totally right about the retcon too. So, so one part of the reason why this was this arc in general was was not liked was because of the treatment of Prometheus. I mean, Prometheus shows up. He's a little fucking punk ass bitch. He he gets three arrows off the top from from Green Arrow, and this is supposed to be a guy that took out the entire JLA. But of course, I'll remind you guys who are super fans of Prometheus. After he got done taking out the JLA, you know who took him down? Catwoman with a kick to the fucking nuts. So <laughs> I mean, he couldn't have been all that badass, no, right? Just before before you go on, like uh, one joke I always have about Prometheus, like private joke with myself is. I always I always come back to this where I, I think, man, Captain America is so much better, like a better fighter than Batman, because in JLA Avengers, like, you know, he faces off against Prometheus and it cuts away. And when it cuts back, Cap is like standing over Prometheus, like defeated, like like. So I'm like, oh, so Cap beat Prometheus like off panel and like Batman got beaten by Prometheus. So <laughs> I'm like, Cap is should totally take down Batman. So, yeah. Yeah. And 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 so so what what the original deal was was there there's a re, like Prometheus was never a green arrow villain originally, right? At all. It was, you know, he fought the JLA, right? What he was in Star City fighting with cops in Star City, fighting with the Green Arrow because originally they wanted to use Onomatopoeia. Do you, do you remember that was the oh Kevin Smith's Kevin Smith's yeah. like pet character right? But because Kevin Smith's a big duty head and he took forever to write his stories and he didn't want anybody to use the character before he was done doing his 
Green Arrow arc, they nix that. But if you if if you go back and read this again, which you probably won't, but if you just you know imagine if you will, like 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 uh, you know pull a pull a you know uh, like the like the Joker movie, like re envision all the scenes that you read, you know, with this new bit of information, you know, the fact that like Zaze Beats isn't actually in the newsstand or whatever, and so instead of seeing Prometheus, like imagine this with onomatopoeia in all the scenes, and all of a sudden you're like, oh. I get it. That's why he's the bestest, but he's not the bestest. He's an early aughts villain who can do no wrong, but yet he's also getting his butt handed to him. You know, like, and I don't know, for me, it was like that, I don't know, that that clicked everything for me. Like, so so that that's another thing. I don't know. I just, to, to me, like that, that. I know to a lot of people, they love Prometheus and they're, they're butt hurt that, that this ever happened, right? And and then and then to know that it was supposed to be onomatopoeia and that cracks me up even more because Kevin Smith didn't want his villain to get to jobber to hush, right? Like, but yet uh, clearly Morrison or you know no nobody at DC cared that Prometheus <laughs> was going to play second banana to hush in this, which which cracks me up because I mean if I was going to rank them, I would rank Prometheus then Hush, then Onomatopoeia, right? Yeah. Like, if I was uh -huh. going to do it, right? But it, it seems like in here, it's it's like, it's Hush, uh, and, and Prometheus is below that. But then, because Kevin Smith's such a big muckety-muck or whatever, like, it's almost like Onomatopoeia is above all of them, which is ridiculous. But anyway, doesn't really matter. And then, to get, what you, to, get to what you were talking about, later, because fanboys butts were so hurt and because they wanted to make it all make sense they decided that this version of prometheus isn't well okay one there's a prometheus the first prometheus is not the morrison prometheus either right like like there was a prometheus that was like just named prometheus but he was basically like I don't know, like Colossus or something. Like it was a character that was in he, he was a blue beetle villain. So he was the security guard named Kurt Calhoun. He turns metallic. He he's kind of like the molten man or Colossus, right? But he ends up it's like he's a friend of Ted Cord and works for Cord Industries as a security guard, but then he gets like, you know, crazy accident and he doesn't want to be a supervillain, but like he ends up like there's a crossover between the Teen Titans and Blue Beetle and Mento, who's, you know, the like the Professor X of the Doom Patrol or whatever. Right. He mentally controls that version of Prometheus to attack Blue Beetle and the Teen Titans as part of like a villain group called the Hybrid. Right. So and then this character never gets seen again until you go to JSA 28, where you see this two page spread. And that's where they were doing the arc with roulette, where she she makes powered people fight one another in cage matches. And in the back, you see like the fallen players of the house for the gladiatorial games. And one of those like fallen players, there's a little photo in memoriam, was that original Prometheus. So. That Prometheus has nothing to do with any of those. So then technically, if you look up Prometheus, like the Morrison Prometheus, the one everybody knows from JLA, like technically, that's Prometheus 2, right? And then 
Prometheus 3, which is what you were alluding to earlier, is fanboys were so butthurt, and, and this was written in a issue that was the Faces of Evil Prometheus. It was like a big running, it was like one of those fifth week events. So like all these characters had like one shots and stuff like that. So that was like a one shot that covered Prometheus. And that was written by Sterling Gates, who I kind of think is like the Christos Gage of DC. Like he was trying to make all these disparate things that didn't make any sense to him make sense. And so what happens in that is the original Grant Morrison Prometheus, you know, quote unquote Prometheus 2 returns to get the cosmic key from this kid named Chad Graham, who basically they're saying is his his Robin, his Nightwing, his sidekick like this. This kid basically acted like he was the real Prometheus, but he was not. And, you know, I guess that's too to alleviate the butthurt from fanboys that are mad about how Prometheus was treated in this arc. Cause that there is that aspect of blowback to, to this story arc. Yeah. That's what, like, I, I remember reading that somewhere. So I was kind of like, I didn't, isn't this like, cause I was kind of like, man, he's kind of a punk ass bitch in this. And like, yeah. So I was like, is this the thing that made them like, say this wasn't the real one? Like I, I do find it kind of, like, I, I think Prometheus has a great visual, like, and he, he's, I mean, he's a pretty, you know, okay concept for a villain. I mean, he's kind of like Taskmaster, basically, but, yeah. but I mean, like, I, I always found it a shame that, like, the, the Prometheus that showed up on, like, the Arrow TV show was, like, nothing but, like, in name only, like, to, like, comic book Prometheus, basically, yeah, yeah. like, and he didn't even have, like, the cool visual, like, he just had, kind of had this, like, you know, Scarecrow-esque mask, I think. But yeah, okay, well that that makes sense because that's what I was thinking. I was like, because like like I said, like I, I always had in my mind that scene from Avengers JLA where it's like Prometheus takes on Captain America and then like it's a scene cut and then like Captain America's beating him and I was I'm, I yeah, was kind of like yeah. okay, well yeah, it's like and Prometheus was a big deal to me, so I was kind of like oh yeah, okay, well of course Cap can beat him, so yeah, yeah, I I was gonna ask you. Just out of curiosity, in the beginning of this storyline, Bruce Wayne is freaking out because he thinks he's seen Vesper Fairchild. Like, do you have any context for that? Like, do you know who Vesper Fairchild is? No. Okay. So Vesper Fairchild was a a character that Bruce Wayne dated, and it was during, like, the Doug Munch, Kelly Jones arc. Like, she was... I, I think she was like kind of, she was kind of like another Vicky Vale. Like she was I think she was like a radio host where she's like, you know, hey, you're listening to Vesper Fairchild, like, you know, KTGY Gotham or whatever. And so like like Bruce Wayne would go out with her and, and she was, you know, I don't know if she was a long running girlfriend, but at least she was a long running enough girlfriend that when when Doug Munch was writing the book, that was that was Bruce Wayne's date for the night in his, you know, two years of writing, you know, Batman or whatever. Right. And what happened is 
to kick off one of these giant Batman events. I don't know if this will ring any bells or sound familiar to you, but when Greg Rucka was doing the Bruce Wayne murderer storyline, you know, that thing where they were trying to like frame Bruce Wayne yeah, for murder? Wizard was always pimping that, so I know of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vesper Fairchild was who showed up on the front door of the Wayne Manor, like, dead, right? So... So she was the, you know, I mean, I know this, this might get me into trouble, but she was the Nicole Simpson for Bruce Wayne, right? Like, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, like that, that was, I, I'm pretty sure that's what they were going for with that story, you know, like, and anyway, but that's, that's the context of that. Like he's seeing like, you know, it, it'd kind of be like, you remember Charlie from Spider-Man versus Wolverine? It'd be kind of like if Spider-Man uh. saw a chick that looked like Charlie all of a sudden and went, is that? Is that Charlie and like freaks him out for a minute and makes him kind of like lose his cool? Like that's that was supposed to be kind of the the context of what was going that's, on that's, there. That, yeah, I kind of got it from like the context clues and whatever. Yeah. Like, but yeah, that yeah. Thanks for the elaboration, though. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess I was going to ask because th- I think this is another major point of contention for people who don't like this storyline. What I, and I guess I'll go into the details of the notes I have on it, but like, what was your take on, uh, I guess, maybe in general, the Joker in this arc? And specifically, like, w- what do you think about the infusion of the, the, the I mean, it seems like there, there was that attempt to really canonize certain aspects of the killing joke. Like, what was your reaction to that like did you hate it did you did you think oh that's interesting like what was your take i I, I liked it actually like 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 with batman like i I think there was a like measure of depth to to the joker that i don't usually i guess see like and like i kind of like i don't know like what kind of legs it would have but like like it was good like it, it worked for that story arc like it gave you know it gave the riddler some kind of leverage over the joker like and like I, I always kind of like it when like you know the Riddler, the Joker, the Penguin, like in Catwoman, like sort of like in the '66 Batman movie, like kind of pal around. Like, yeah, yeah. Where you know, like even though the Joker's insane and he might try to kill them on a dime, like he still kind of like respects them in his own like twisted way, like and they're kind of his friends almost. So well, yeah. Like, I mean, they're 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 at the very least like professional colleagues, right? Like yeah. they they're afforded the respect of colleagues. But, but you, you know what I kept thinking of now when I was because I, I when when I was taking the notes for this and rereading it you know because it's been a while since i'd read it like i i yeah i know you kept reading it and you would regale us with the stories of of its awfulness or whatever but like i i kind of stopped reading the tom king batman run but all i could think of was the last arc i was in the middle of was what wasn't it like the joker riddler war or some shit yeah yeah so like that and as i was seeing like i was i was kind of reflecting on what you were saying like that they were, you know, yes, the Riddler has leverage over the Joker, or at least he has something he wants. So that's why the Joker's being quote unquote nice to him. But at the same time, you still do get the vibe that you're talking about. There's still that tinge of the, you know, the Silver Age, the old 66 Adam West Batman, like like they can all get in a room and wear tights and, and gar- garish, garishly colored costumes and like, 
you know, they, they're all sipping brandy. It's like Penguin and Joker. Oh, I, and I did Riddler. like like how the Joker was kind of like when he went off on like, you know, the Penguin and the Riddler. And he was like, you know, you know that like I'm the one who like gets his attention. So all of you can do your like illicit things like because mm-hmm. I and I'm the only one who's going to, you know, take him down or whatever. And like I did like, you know, when he was telling Hush to like, you know, hey, Hush, you're, you're, you're like he was saying, like, you know, Hush is a flash in the pan. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I think that was like maybe meta commentary too yeah, but yeah absolutely you know, yeah but you know I, I i actually liked it um i think when we talked about those joker like graphic novels like uh, you know way back when way yeah. back when maybe last year like i kind of asked you like what do you think of like the joker like you know having sex and like stuff like that like we like things you wouldn't normally associate with him but like this is a little more i guess innocent and less like sorted than that mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. and like I, I like I do like it when you know the the Joker has like a small maybe not empathy but like a an ounce of like you know something you can like latch on to with him where you're kind of like well if things went a different way maybe the Joker could have been a good guy but they didn't like you know so you know yeah, like, I... even, even at the end of the killing joke like even as a uh, as you know as twisted as that story is like at the end where the joker kind of like says like it's too late like you know i can't be a you know we we can't stop it's too late now yeah i think i i think you know i mean obviously there's a modern reevaluation of that that story in general where you know people just think it's the most awful thing ever for whatever reason i mean i i didn't mind the inclusion of it like i mean if you want to get like strict about what happens in the killing joke and what is described in this story i mean it's kind of like a a weird alternate universe version of the killing joke because it doesn't happen exactly the way it does in there either but they use they use visual aspects and and of course the the, you know, the, the, the fair or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing, the carnival, you know, like all those things are clear visuals from that story. When, when they go into the whole, you know, Riddler being, you know, Jimmy Stewart and rear window thing, like, I mean, the way they describe it in the killing joke was they say the, his wife dies from an electric short with a baby bottle heater. So, I mean, that's, that's not the same thing as, you know, in here, like, you know, it, it, I mean, the, I think the notion is there was an electrocution, uh, an electric accident and she died. Right. Like through the fault of no one. Whereas in in issue 54 of this arc, there's a crooked cop. He makes a gas leak. The whole fucking apartment blows up, you know, and 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 if you pay attention the, the two guys that I guess Jack or pre-Joker or whatever you want to call him robs Ace Chemical with, like in The Killing Joke, the cops blow those guys the fuck away. But in this, they're kind of like knocked out by the Batman and then he falls into the vat of chemicals. So there's, I mean, it's not, it's not one for one, a hundred percent the same. I, I just remember uh, along with people being butthurt over Prometheus, along with people, you know, that loved Lee and Lopes Hush being adverse to this story. I know there was a lot of blowback from my recollection about the fact that they were even dealing with the the fact that 
he was married. Like, like in other words, like, you know, I, I think a lot of people like to focus on the line where he says, if I had a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. And most people interpret that as that killing joke, failed comedian, washed up comedian thing with a pregnant wife who dies in an electrical accident. Like that's, that's a, you know, that's one of the multiple choice options. Like that's letter A. But for all we know, this is letter B where it was an explosion. Do you know what I mean? But, but, but yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't know, but, but, you know, to some people, they were kind of like thinking they were trying to, to, to canonize, like, like absolutely canonize, like this is the Joker's origin, like without question. And, and some people were upset about that because I think they saw all the, the superficial aspects and not, you know, focused on the, the discrepancies between the two or whatever. But I mean, you know, again, like, I, I guess, you know, I, I don't mind rereading this arc. I mean, it, there, I guess there's some sense of nostalgia because I was I was following this book at the time. I mean, I, I'd say I, I, I wasn't like super loyal to it from the first issue that, when it launched. But I think like right around like, I don't know, like 32 or something. I think I read this book faithfully all the way up until issue 74. So like, I mean, for me, like th this was a book I followed. I think this was one of those alternative books batman titles to me that that i like to me I, and and this is this is a blanket statement from me i thought at the time and i i still kind of think this if you look at what was being written in the era it was the only ongoing batman book that i thought was worth buying like i told you i didn't like reading the, the ongoing batman book you know winnick was who was writing it dirt when this was coming out and then i think before that it was azarello and Loeb and all this other stuff right the detective comics thing was uh, it was a guy named anderson gabrick who if you're saying who like that sums up like how i feel about the writing right like it's like eh, it's, <laughs> it's not it's not great I, it's not it's not horrible but what it's else just, it is... wasn't like what else has AJ Lieberman written? Because I don't think I've like read anything else he's written. Uh, that's probably a good question. Let me find out because I I can't think of anything immediately off the top of my head. But he might have been like, well, let's find out. Let's see. Well, while you're looking for that, it's like all this talk about Hush kind of makes me like like I was saying, like you know, there are some villains that like you you eventually like weld into the you know fabric of batman's rogues gallery and there are some that like i don't know like stand out still and it's like like professor pig like when professor pig showed up in like arkham knight like the video game i was kind of like oh cool like professor pig like yeah he's a you know people may like may have been all like down on him when he was on like beware the batman but i i think he's cool like i think he deserved to be like in batman's rogues gallery but then like when did you play that game arkham knight uh i played i only played the first one oh, okay so that's City, that's the right? that's the third one okay. okay so like there's a mission where you have to like track down professor pig and like you know save whoever he's gonna like serial kill or whatever but then there's also a mission where there's someone like stealing bruce wayne's identity and then like he goes up to Bruce, like the, the imposter goes up to Bruce Wayne's office and he like bashes Lucius's face in and like tries to like get Lucius to like transfer all like, you know, money to him or whatever. And it turns out it's Thomas Elliot and he like had his like face altered to look like Bruce Wayne or whatever. And like Batman comes in and like one punches him and that's all there is of hush in that game. But it, oh, like, okay. like it, it was funny because like I remember when I was playing that game, it was like the Professor Pig mission 
like was really involved. You had to like find all these clues. Then you had a really like big boss fight against Professor Pig. But the hush mission, it, it like it's literally like five minutes. Like you just like go, you go to like Wayne Towers' office and you like you find the Bruce Wayne imposter and it like it's like he's holding Lucius hostage and it's like a quick time event where it's like. You know, Batman thinks to himself, he's like, you know, when he points the gun at me, I'll, I'll disarm him. And then he does that. And if you hit the button at the right time, you disarm him. Then Lucius, like, freaking grabs, like, a decanter off the desk and bashes him over the head over it. And then, then like, Batman puts, puts like, Hush's face through the desktop or whatever. And he's like, well, that was Hush. Like, so. But, nice. Like, that, that always made me laugh. So, so I've got a brief write-up on A.J. Lieberman. I guess a, the A is for Andy. So it says, Andy Lieberman started writing at MTV Networks, where he wrote and produced for both Jon Stewart and Ted Demi. Later, he wrote numerous monthly titles for DC Comics, including Batman Gotham Knights, War Games, Harley Quinn, and Martian Manhunter. He also co-created Cowboy Ninja Viking, an ongoing monthly comic for Image Comics. So I, okay. I think it looks like there's there's this book called Silver Six. So uh, it looks like that's for like kids or whatever. But that's where I'm reading this from. Like it's got like these okay. scholastic books and everything. But some, yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's written some some other things, but it's not anything, you know, I guess. Yeah, I was, I was wondering if he wrote anything for Marvel or anything like that. But. Yeah, I'm not if he has, I'm not I'm not seeing anything for it. Like it seems like here. Let's see. Here's his screenwriting credits. Malcolm and Eddie, Campus Cop, Dead Lawyers, Term Life, and then the Cowboy Ninja Viking. So, yeah. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, he, he did a lot of screenwriting and then was doing some of this this comic stuff. But in whatever case, I'm like, even though I didn't quite care for it, like, I'm glad I read it. Like, I think I kind of definitely like like you said, the I, I got I got the written for the trade vibe from it. I was kind of oh, yeah. kind of like breezed right through it. Like I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like almost not quite Bendisy, but like in terms of like pacing, but like it was a fast read. Yeah, yeah. you, you Yeah, this is this is a pretty quick read. I mean, for, for me, I, I think it was kind of, uh, you know, for me, it was entertaining. Like I, I enjoyed it when I was reading it month to month and I, it reads really well altogether for me. I guess, I guess one of those like favorite moments of mine, it kind of reminds me of like the 89 Batman film. You know how like that, that scene where the Joker shows up to the um, city hall and he's got all those mimes that come on the scene you know when when michael keaton's there or whatever like it, it kind of reminded me of that film when basically when the joker shows up with his mime gang to like beat down hush you know like it wasn't like it wasn't super obnoxious like it wasn't supposed to be like check out this fanboy nod to batman 89 but it still kind of had that feel to it and like i i think that's my favorite like moment for the joker in this where he's like Ken meet Hush. And then like he, he the guy Ken like kicks Hush in the chest. He's like, Hush, that was Ken. You know, like like it's just like I, I don't know. I it cracks me <laughs> up. In case anybody's wondering, the tailor who shows up in this is not to be confused with the crime tailor from The Flash, but showed up in, in Harley Quinn, which I assume those were some of the issues that AJ Lieberman also wrote. I guess if anybody was wondering whatever becomes of, of the Riddler, because the Riddler 
does not really show up in Gotham Knights after this arc. So if you were just reading Gotham Knights, you might be like, well, what the hell? Like, did the Hush ever catch Riddler? Like, what the hell happened to Riddler? So he he runs off to, to hide out with Poison Ivy. But Poison Ivy isn't really too happy with him after what he did in Hush either. So there's a, and this may interest you, which is why I wrote it down, but there's there's this backup story between where, you know, Poison Ivy and the Riddler sort of have a, uh, face-off or confrontation or whatever, and that runs through Detective Comics seven ninety seven to seven ninety nine. Shane McCarthy wrote that, so I thought I thought that might be interesting to you. Oh yeah, okay. I think I think on, on TF Wiki's page for Shane McCarthy, I think it says like he before this he was known for a reinvention of the Riddler in uh, yeah. Batman that did not take or something. Like yeah, because because I think I think after that, like because the the whole point of that arc was supposed to be like he was just a regular dude, whereas like Poison Ivy and all the rest were quote unquote, like real freaks. And she rips off his tie with the question mark on it. And is like, see, I can like take your symbol from you. And then I think later there was a legends of the dark Knight arc where like, he gets all like tatted up. I imagine they were trying to do like that whole, you know, Marilyn Manson, the Batman look or something. But I think he got all like tatted up with like questions and shit. And that's probably what the, the wiki's referring to. Yeah, Tom King kind of did something like that with him too, where the Riddler was all brawny and like whatever. Like I, I don't know. Like some, so it seems like every so often someone tries to make the Riddler like a physical threat too. But I don't know how well it takes. Yeah, they they always try that. I mean, even back as far as it, when I first started reading the the Batman titles, there was a Dark Knight, Dark City arc, and it had all these really cool Mike Mignola covers, but it was like they were trying to make Riddler like this weird, it was like he was a serial killer, or like he was trying to sacrifice babies or some shit, and they're like, look, like he doesn't just ask wacky riddles and get punched in the face by Batman, he asks wacky riddles and gets punched in the face by Batman after he tries to stab a baby, you know, like that was, that was like one of their little, you know, deals or whatever. So I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like they're always trying to, I, I don't know. It seems or like even, even in, in the hush uh, animated movie. Yeah. 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 Like yeah, it but... seems like they're always trying to find ways to, to pump Riddler up or apologize for him or something. I, I don't know why, you know, which like, is I'm... yeah too bad because like, I, I feel like the Riddler is one of the most like unique of like Batman's rogues gallery or like anyone's rogues gallery. Cause you remember when I did those like Spider-Man versus Batman matchups, like rogues gallery matchups. Yeah. Like I could not find anyone to match against the Riddler from Spider-Man's like rogues gallery. That was like a really good fit. Like the closest I came was like Mysterio, but then I decided to pit Mysterio against Scarecrow instead. And like, eventually I just pit the Riddler against J. Jonah Jameson because I was kind of mm. like, well, they, they both use their words to like, you know, you know, hurt the hero or whatever. Right, so I guess. Right. That's, but that that was like the closest I came. So I was kind of like, well, I guess that's just a testament to like how unique the Riddler is like his gimmick is. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, 
this is again uh, I, I guess this is the our tie in to to jail may and everything so i think what we're going to do is again i i you know for for me i wanted to talk about something i enjoyed reading and i'm kind of glad mike had you know a, a dissenting opinion too so that it could reflect you know kind of what maybe the more popular opinion of the time was and everything but what we're going to do is we'll take a, a short commercial break and we will play the trailer for the jail may event that's going on right now with all kinds of podcasters there's uh, a bunch of shows that that should be coming out from fortress of bailey Tude, it all comes back to superman relatively geeky married with comics coffee and Comics, Task Force X, Starman, Manhunter, Adventure Hour, Birds of Prey podcast, Justice is First Dawn, the Fire and Water podcast, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, Longbox Crusade, and Everybody Loves the Drake podcast. Listen to this trailer, check them all out. If you listen to this and you're curious about what else is being covered, like go check all those different shows out. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the the actual Villains United tie-in issue of batman gotham knights which is issue 66 so stay tuned i hope he's home why does it sound like i'm using a phone in the uk i told you never to call me again yeah, I know. And modern science has yet to create a device to measure how much I don't care. Look, I'm getting the trailer for this year's Jail May together, and I assumed I had to make you a part of it since you're always in everybody's trailer or something. <laughs> well, look at you, leading this year's Jail May. Somebody's wearing his big boy pants. So, what's the theme? I sent you an email like a month ago. Like I even pay attention to anything you send me. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis? No, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I'm not following. Shocking. The theme this year, I'm, I'm going to, like I'm talking to a child. The theme this year is Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I thought it was a fascinating time period in DC's history. So a bunch of us are getting together to talk about the various specials and miniseries and crossovers that led up to Infinite Crisis. It's the event before the event the whole thing is going to kick off on april 30th 2020 with a special episode of views from the long box covering the countdown to infinite crisis 80 page giant and from there a whole bunch of shows that i will be adding in post-production will discuss these previously mentioned miniseries and crossover issues and people actually agreed to this shockingly yes well, it's probably a good thing that you're going to cover countdown to infinite crisis instead of the countdown series because that was a train wreck yeah, you know, actually, that was my thinking, too. Now, are you going to help me with this trailer or not? Fine. I will help you with your little trailer. Good. Uh, don't worry, by the way. There won't be any dates for you to get wrong. I hate you so much. JL May 2020. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. The event before the event. This crossover kicks off on April 30th, 2020. On Views from the Long Box. And continues into Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, Pop Culture Affidavit, It All Comes Back to Superman, The Fan Holes Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, The Birds of Prey Podcast, Married with Comics, 
the Coffee and Comics Podcast, The Longbox Crusade, Task Force X, Relatively Geeky Presents, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, and the Dr. DC Podcast. All right, we're back, guys. And as promised, we're going to be discussing Batman Gotham Knights issue number 66, which is a Villains United tie-in. The publisher, of course, is DC Comics. The cover date is August 2005. The on-sale date is June 15th, 2005. The cover price is a whopping $2.50. The story title is Job Termination. The editor is Matt Idelson. Writer is A.J. Lieberman. Penciler, Alejandro Barrianuevo. Inker, Javier Bergantino. Letterer, Jared K. Fletcher. Colorist, Lori J. Cronenberg. And again, like we said, if you've read the Batman Hush Returns trade paperback, you are covered. So, of course, we've got the cover blurb that says, Daughter of the Demon, Villains United tie-in. So we've got this cool cover of Talia, and we've got a knocked-out Prometheus with all these little Cobra soldier footboots in the background. So, just to give everybody a heads up, this is skipping ten issues later, and if, if, and I'm assuming like Mike, anybody listening to this may not have read those issues, wasn't an ongoing reader of Batman Gotham Knights like I was, so just to fill you all in, Hush and Prometheus, they continue to be besties, they tell Black Mask they don't want to participate in this stupid-ass war games crossover. Prometheus and Hush, this is the part of the mystery that I was alluding to earlier that reminded me of, like, Roger Stern Hobgoblin mysteries. Prometheus and Hush, they kidnap Alfred, which then leads to another mystery because Alfred, when he's kidnapped, finds out he's locked up with Tommy Elliot. Bum, 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 what? Hush makes some moves on Poison Ivy whose powers he is actually immune to. So that goes back to the whole, you know, early aughts villains are the bestest. He's like, your your poison, you know, powers and powers of persuasion, like, they don't work on me. Prometheus is all jelly belly over all the time that Hush has been spending with Poison Ivy. And basically that covers what you need to know before reading Gotham Knights issue 66. And I probably should have told Mike that before he read Gotham Knights 66, but he knows now. So so we'll, we'll, we'll go into the actual synopsis here, which won't take too long. Hush throws Prometheus out a boarded up window and tells him to leave Gotham City. Prometheus tells Hush Ivy would have ruined him. And when it looks like Hush is about to execute him, the Society, or the Secret Society of Supervillains, show up to retrieve Prometheus after tracking him for days. Hush leaves his new partner behind, even after he offers him $5 million for his safety. The Society's Cobra Cult foot soldiers deliver Prometheus to premier members Deathstroke the Terminator and Talia al Ghul. When Prometheus collapses, stricken with illness, Talia orders Deathstroke and her men to find Hush. Hush determines that Prometheus is stricken with a poison from a woman named Jenna who attempted to be Poison Ivy's successor. He was cut and infected by Jenna when she was thrown out a window by Poison Ivy herself. Prometheus has something Talia needs, the Cosmic Key. Talia tells Hush if Prometheus dies, then he dies. 
As Prometheus is operated on by Hush, we see his visions of his past and how he obtained the cosmic key in the land of Shambhala. Once Hush stabilizes Prometheus, he holds Talia hostage by scalpel knife to escape. The two struggle and Hush kicks Talia into a mirror. Hush hands the antidote to and contagion behind Prometheus's condition over to Talia. On the last page, we see an epilogue with Ma Hunkle discovering that the Cosmic Key has teleported into the headquarters of the Justice Society of America to be continued in JSA Classified issue number five. So yeah, that that's the that's the Villains United tie-in, and it also apparently was packaged with that Hush Returns trade paperback. So I guess again, I'll, I'll just ask like. You know, do, do you have any different takes on this? Are you are you still kind of like wise hush, like you know, smacking around all these longtime villains, or like what what's your what what's your take on the whole thing? Yeah, there was kind of an element of that too. Like, like it, it wasn't a good showing for Prometheus either because he spends the whole thing on his back, basically. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Well, well, yeah. again, again, I guess all the the angry Prometheus fanboys can rest easy that this is this is Chad, right? Like, it's not the real Prometheus. <laughs> Chad Prometheus. Yes, Chad Prometheus. <laughs> like freaking Chad Vader. Or yes, whatever. yes. Like, but yeah, no, nah, like. For the most part, I got it. I mean, like, I knew it was a tie-in, so I knew there were going to be things I wasn't, like, up on. But, I mean, I, I got where it was going and where it had been, like, in broad strokes, at least. And, like, you know, the like, Prometheus's backstory was, like, interesting. Like, like uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's just, like, retelling the backstory of the real, like, Prometheus. Yeah, I think, what, I think but... the idea is it'd be, like, you know, Nightwing telling batman's origin story like it was his own or something i suppose if you're gonna if you're gonna take the retcon at face value i think at this point it was just part of his origin you know like the you know the the retcon did not exist yet so yeah but i mean i don't have a whole lot to say about it like i I think it you know it, it was more of like the same from that first like hush returns arc and like like i said i wasn't too keen on that so i wasn't exactly keen on this either right. so right. yeah okay yeah i mean again like most of these were were tie-ins that were coming out so i think most of the villains united tie-ins dealt with the society in some way and so the the tie-in to this is the fact that you know deathstroke and talia show up with with all these cobra cult soldiers so that's you know they they're they're basically you know key members of this group like if if the society was like the the acts of vengeance, you know, conglomerate or whatever, you know, where it was like Kingpin, Doom and Magneto and, and you know, Loki and, you know, all those guys that met up with one another. Like, you know, this is kind of uh, a DC equivalent to that, where it was, you know, what they thought was Luthor at the time and uh, Deathstroke and Talia. And I think uh maybe like Dr. Psycho and some 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 other folks or whatever. But anyway, I guess some some things that are interesting about the backstory for Prometheus. Shambhala is actually a city in Skataris, so fans of, you know, Warlord comics, that's that's the core of the earth in Warlord comics and if you if you like listening to podcasts about Warlord, go check out Warlord World, super awesome podcast. In case anybody was curious, like the Joker does eventually return in like a round or two kind of match in 73 and 74, which are the final issues of Gotham Knights. 
the the thing that's kind of odd though is because we're talking about you know villains united and everything and and the the society and everything like they spend all this time hunting prometheus or chad prometheus or whatever down right but after gotham knights issue 66 like he joins the society so i'm not i'm not really sure how that you know because because in the actual villains united miniseries he does join the society so i mean i guess at some point like you know he he, you know like his life is saved and maybe he figures he'll get back the cosmic key like once they find it or something like that like like i i don't know if that was the reasoning behind it i wanted to tell you that even though you might not be, you know, too keen on what what I had you read or whatever, the 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 follow up to this, the the JLA classified arc, it's a three issue arc where they go after the cosmic key. It's it's kind of like it's a cool little heist story. And the reason why I thought you might like it, it's called Honor Among Thieves, and it features the Injustice Gang, like basically doing kind of a Mission Impossible or Ocean's Eleven heist thing with the Cosmic Key. It's only three issues, but the reason why I thought you might like it is it features Artemis Croc, like the, the comic version of Artemis Croc. So she's oh, cool. she's she's like dating Icicle and everything, and like it's like her and Icicle are kind of like the main characters and everything, and then they've got like all the other you know Injustice Gang characters and. And so they basically like break into JSA headquarters, like where, you know, where Ma Hunkle is staring at this key and, and try to, you know, rip it off Mission Impossible style and all this other stuff. And meanwhile, they're they're fending off Talia. They're fending off Nyssa and, and their whole army because, you know, Talia's got a hard on for the fucking cosmic key in this. So I don't really know. Like, it's kind of confusing, like because. They, they don't really establish how the cosmic key gets back in possession of Chad, like Chad Prometheus, I guess we're going to call him. But like somewhere along the way, the wizard had the cosmic key because they, you know, they stole it right from from JSA headquarters. And then I'm guessing maybe off panel or something, he must have given it back to the, the Chad Prometheus because they were both society members, I guess. I, I don't know. Because Wizard doesn't have it in the JSA All-Star comics, and that's when the Wizard next appears. And then I think there's like there's a moment where, like, in, in a Teen Titans arc, like, he's also around, so maybe that's when it happened or something, but not, you know, clearly it happened off-panel, so I don't know. But eventually, like like we discussed earlier, there's that, Faces of Evil Prometheus, which basically retcons the whole thing and and says like, you know, OK, that was Chad Prometheus. And then like the, the actual, you know, quote unquote, one true Prometheus, you know, the Morrison Prometheus, he comes back and, and takes the key back from Chad Prometheus. So that's that's pretty much understood yeah <laughs> yeah that's 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 what i've got on that as far as crazy you know I, I i don't know if it's fun there's there's a lot of retconny you know wackadoo stuff in that or whatever but i i found it weird that they included this in in the trade you know what i mean like like it's like it's like you you go through those five issues and then you jump to this and you're kind of missing some of the context yeah, it's aside like, from hush and prometheus like being in it is it very loosely connected it feels like yeah because it's like it's like there were issues of gotham knights with poison ivy and then there was this like wannabe new poison ivy that was that girl that poisons prometheus but you kind of don't know any of that and 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 it might have been like weird and awkward and dumb to like just put 
pages of war games and pages of some of these things. You, you know how like they made those weird trades back in the day where they would just take like a few pages out of like an issue to make it like yeah, the relevant pages. Yeah, yeah the relevant yeah, pages. Uh, I mean, they could have done something like that, but they didn't. So I, I yeah, I don't know exactly how I would have handled that, but again. I think that also speaks to why I liked reading this run monthly in real time, because even though that arc we're saying this is the beginning of the era where they're writing stuff for the trade and that that initial, you know, hush returns arc seemed to be trade worthy or whatever. I also do kind of appreciate the fact that technically you couldn't really trade. I mean, if you were going to trade it, you they, they should have kept releasing volumes up until 66, but they didn't. So I, I, I do kind of think it speaks to, I guess, at least my compliment of, of this entire arc, that, that it does feel slightly throwback to like an era of comics like Roger Stern, where there were, you know, A, B, C subplots, and they ran throughout issues and sometimes were dropped from issues and then came back to issues and all that kind of stuff. And I assume another reason why they probably didn't collect all the issues is probably because some of them were in, I, I assume, like war games trades or whatever. And Padui on war games. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I guess since since Mike doesn't have anything else to say about this, I, I think that I think that's going to wrap up the episode. I mean, I don't know. Is is that really it? Like, that's all you got? Yeah. Like I like I said, I don't really have a lot to say about this issue since I I don't have like the exact context for it. Like so like I, I and I, like I said, it, it felt like a little bit more of the same like like a, the same flavor of stuff from the yeah, first yeah. start. I mean, it's, so. it's exactly the same creative team. So it is the same flavor. I mean, as far as like, you know, the the society context, I mean, yeah, there's a whole mini series about that, you know, the Villains United stuff. But I don't know. It, I, I think if if I could explain it to you in any way. I think the society in a lot of these tie-ins where they show up in mass or, or just as various characters, like it's kind of like post civil war when, you know, what you call the man thunderbolts would show up in random issues every once in a while, <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah, uh, I get you. Now, like songbird and radioactive men show up and be like, you got to register or whatever. Like th that's kind of, what's going on here but instead of registration it's more like hey you're gonna you're gonna join the society and whoop good guy ass no well then we're gonna hunt you down like that's the whole plot of of villains united they all go after like Catman and these ragtag group of villains that don't accept the offer you know so it's like i mean i suppose you could argue that's why chad prometheus signed up too right he didn't want to be hounded and hunted and all this other bullshit right like he just he went along with the plan just like you know the majority of characters that were in that ended up being an infinite crisis you know they just kind of joined basically they, they they joined a super villain union basically is what happened you know that that's what villains united is they joined a super villains union and, super and, villains. and that's and this is this is a tie-in to the it's like it's like oh hush you want to join the union and and like Hush has been doing this whole time. He's like, no, I'm a new aughts character. I'm the bestest. I don't need your fucking union. You know, and that's that's basically what was going on there. And again, like I said, this this is the you know, the only time I really enjoyed Hush. But uh, I will I will still defend this this arc. I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know that it's it's fun, per se. I, I, I do think it tends to be ugly from time to time, but in a in a good way, I guess. 
you know, so so as far as that aspect goes, like I, I guess the the best way to put it is I had fun with this arc, and 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 it was something that I enjoyed reading on a monthly basis, and and it did. This was surrounding the era that was leading up to the the countdown to Infinite Crisis, and and I think to me it was it was counter programming to the other Batman titles, which I wasn't really into at the time. So I I, I guess to be fair, the only other like I said, this was the only ongoing book worth reading. I think the only other book I actually was buying off the stands that was a Batman book at that time was it was a miniseries titled Batman Death and the Maidens. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's it's a Greg Rucka written miniseries. And it basically features it, it introduces Nyssa, you know, like that's the first time Nyssa shows up in the comics. And I mean, essentially, they they kill off Ra's al Ghul, and and you know, of course, he doesn't stay dead for very long. But I mean, th- th- he stayed dead for a while after that. Other than than Gotham Knights, that that's kind of the, those were the Batman titles I was I was picking up at the time and everything, and I I enjoyed them. If you guys have any other comments, questions, and or concerns, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We have all kinds of shows. We've got, in addition to comics, motherfucker, do you read them? Of course, we have the backlog of episodes over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. We've got a lot of other spinoff shows. We've got Toku Thursdays. We've got Sentai Saturdays. We've got Transformers Tuesdays. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We've got like the Fan Holes podcast proper, where we talk about you know whatever we whatever we like. We've got Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. So if you've liked what we've been discussing here, and and you want to check out other shows in our catalog, come on down to the Fan Holes podcast.blogspot.com, and you can download episodes like directly from there. We're on. Stitcher Radio, so you can stream us there. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play and Spotify, so you can stream us there as well. We have a Facebook. We have a Tumblr. We have a Twitter. We have an Instagram, so you can follow us on there. You can like, heart, retweet, share. If you do, we appreciate it. And again, check out all the other shows that are involved in this mega crossover. So if you're a regular listener to Fan Holes, and you want to check out all the other JLMA stuff, you know, check out that trailer. And I, I'll try to put like show notes where people can, you know, check out all the other shows and everything like that. You can just click on some links and and see who all else is involved this month in JLMA and check those out when they come out. So, yeah. So until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, breaking Jeff Loeb's pinky finger, signing off. It's Mike random Aristotle quote. <laughs> the sorrows come not in single spies, but in battalions. Random, uh, random Socrates. See, quote, see, see yeah. hush, hush, quoting Shakespeare. Like, see, that's that's why that's why me and Hush are like this. You know, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers because because he quotes Shakespeare. See, that's that's how you get me to like <laughs> Hush. That that's how you do it.
I suppose I didn't say it, but I suppose I should explain my avatar too. Um, that's because you you haven't seen this yet, but just in vague in in uh, general terms, that's a picture of a character from the second season of Iron Blooded Orphans, and his name is Hush, mm. and uh, his his whole plot line is being jealous of Mika and like <laughs> having his his toe stubbed by Mika in the past. So, like it's kind of I like I, it can't be like a it, it, it like I it's probably a coincidence, but it's just funny like that he has like the same exact motivation as comic book Hush basically. So you, you think you think Hush is stealing all the toilet paper right now? For yes, his that, that, yep, exactly. Yeah. All right, that's why he, he that's why he wasn't wearing a shirt in this arc because he just yeah. makes a shirt out of toilet paper. Yep, yep, that's Hush. That's Hush. That's our hush. <laughs>